informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Good morning to you. Today is Monday, July 31st, 2023, the Feast of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And I must say, St. Ignatius of Loyola, first saint that I ever read his biography, at least of memory. I'm sure I did when I was younger, but I remember in middle school, about fifth grade, reading a children's biography of Ignatius of Loyola. I'm thinking he was super cool. He was born in 1491 at the castle of Leola in northern Spain, and that means he was a royal. At the age of 15, he entered into the service of the court of King Ferdinand V and chose a military career. During the siege of Pamplona, he suffered a grave injury from a cannonball striking his right leg. See, folks, he thought it was cool. He had it cool whenever the kids say, I used to be an adventurer until I took an arrow to the knee. Well, <laughs> well, Ignatius Viola was an adventurer until he took a cannonball to the knee. While convalescing, he read the lives of the saints and came to understand the church's call to defend God's interest. He, in fact, was sitting in the hospital, and he desired to read the lives in the, of, the, of the chivalrous knights. And he wanted to have that kind of chivalry that was enculturated into his upbringing. But that was not available to him because he was at a convent, and all they had were the lives of the saints. And so he read those instead and was brought to virtue. It was very interesting because during that time, chivalry had shifted from devotion to the church, our Lord, and our Lady, to, the, to worldly things like, for one, the country, for two, the king, and for three, earthly women. And so the chivalry had shifted in its meaning. It became uh, the human respect, whereas before it was dedicated towards God. Now, at Montserrat, he laid aside his sword at the altar of the Holy Virgin, marking a turning point in his life. He dedicated the rest of his life to be a soldier for Christ. He founded the Society of Jesus with the goal of combating Protestantism, Jansenism, and Neopaganism prevalent at the times. He wrote the Spiritual Exercises, which is his, his rule book on how to combat the world, the flesh, and the devil. The motto of his society became Ad Mejoram Dei Gloriam, which is all for the greater glory of God. You will often see it initialized AMDG. St. Ignatius passed away on July 31st, 1556, with the holy name of Jesus on his lips. His spiritual conversion and the founding of the Society of Jesus restored the sacred knighthood and established a new order of priest warriors dedicated to the church's combat through preaching, teaching, and converting people. So on this feast day, let's pray that there be a true reform of the Jesuit order, that there be great conversions in the Jesuit order, and they return to their mission established by St. Ignatius Loyola and have great priest warriors for Christ. St. Ignatius of Loyola... Pray hey for, us. for us. Happy Monday to you. And joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Hey, good morning, Adrian. And, you know, I had the great privilege of interviewing a priest one time, and he is uh, well known in the, in the Catholic circles for giving these, uh, these Ignatius spiritual exercises uh, retreats. And I asked him point blank because you know, let's, let's address the elephant in the room. The Jesuit order is not what it used to be. I said, what happened, Father? He said, the Jesuits as we know them today, have lost sight of doing the spiritual exercises. So let's pray. Let's ask St. Ignatius to pray for us 
and for the restoration of the Jesuit order. Amen. Amen. It really would be a great grace and devotion to the Holy Name. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, it was, cre- the devotion to the Holy Name, a few people know this, was started by the Dominican order. Mm. But it was, um, like, the greatest, it was the greatest defenders was actually the Jesuit order. And they would put the IHS on everything, which was a symbol of the Holy Name, because they didn't even want to write the Holy Name. That's how beautiful yeah. the Holy Name of our Lord be. And so when someone used the, the, the word like, oh, my God, or, or, or Jesus Christ, or things like outside that, of prayer. Uh, outside yeah. of prayer, I w- we should say, praise be his Holy Name in Amen. response. Praise be his Holy Name. I dare you. I double dog dare you say that today whenever someone uses our Lord's name in vain. Or it says some kind of blasphemy, just shout out, praise be his holy name. And you'll notice it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. So we must pick mm-hmm. up his holy name. Yeah. I know I have this practice of just bowing my head when I hear the, the holy name, whether yeah. in good context or bad context, no matter what the context is. And many people will pick up on it and they'll be like, oh, why are you doing that? And it's a great opportunity to, to be like, yeah, yeah, stop blaspheming our Lord's name. Um, you'll notice that when you try to do small things like that, you're like, wow, people use the name of our Lord in vain a lot. Yeah, they do. Well, I, I have to bow my head every seven seconds. <laughs> if I'm watching TV, <laughs> forget about it. <laughs> forget about the movies. Exactly. Honestly, honestly. Well, a couple of things. One is um, I am in a lot of pain. <laughs> really? <laughs> I had my wisdom teeth taken out on Friday and um, so talking right now. It does hurt a little bit. I took some pain medication before we started, but uh, and I'm doing okay. But I definitely have to like pause every now and then and like just swallow. So and you're take in, a breath. You're in Spain, but the S is silent. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> just like Ignatius Loyola. <laughs> and so, uh, forgive me during the show today if uh, that happens. But that, that's going to be a little bit of a a cross to bear during the show this morning, but yeah. we will we will persevere nonetheless. This is your cannonball moment. This is my cannonball moment, exactly. At 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about, um, did Texas ban water? <laughs> what? That's what's being reported anyway. We're going to talk about that. Plus, bullfighting. What are we to think? Is that something good? Is something bad? Uh, what are we to think about bullfighting? At 30 past the hour, we're going to do a pro-life news roundup. Um, 30 past the hour to be a great conversation. And in the next hour, the Art of Dress, What Nuns Can Teach Us, a great article out by Crisis Magazine. And as always, we have our Fear and Trembling game show with prizes involved. So let's begin with prayer. This will be the last day during the month of July. And so the last day we pray the prayer to the most precious blood of Jesus. And I want to ask in a special way prayers for Emily Esserman. Uh, You may remember her as Emily Alcaraz, our first co-host of Catholic Drive Time. And her daughter, Sienna, she was just... uh, in the hospital. She still is in the hospital. They're working on doing a lot of uh, testing on her. So prayers for her and the, and the entire Esserman family. So prayers for her. And we're going to be praying for whatever it is you have going on in your life, for our friends, our family, our benefactors, and all of those we promise to pray for. We begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. O oh my God, I beg of thee, in union with the Immaculate Heart of Mary, through the merits of the most precious blood, Offer to thee in every sacrifice in the Mass throughout the world to grant that this day one sinner may be converted, one mortal sin be averted, one soul in doubt be converted to truth, one soul about to die in sin receive the grace of repentance and a happy death, and the deliverance of that soul in purgatory which is nearest heaven. I wish by this offering to console the heart of Jesus in agony for souls lost through teaching of error against the true church of Christ Jesus, our Lord, 
Amen. May thy blood, O Lord, be my salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rui Carlos. Good morning. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are your Monday headlines. The Epic Times reports energy industry fears White House will declare COVID-like climate emergency. They're leaning in that direction, U.S. Oil and Gas Association President Tim Stewart said. If you grant the president's emergency powers to declare a climate emergency, it's just like COVID. President Joe Biden and other administration officials have said that the United States and the world are in the midst of a climate crisis and have used language describing it as an emergency. So far, Mr. Biden has stopped short of declaring an emergency, although some Democrats and environmental groups have pushed the idea. The Hill reports researchers find multiple ways to bypass AI chatbot safety rules. It turns out that you can't ask certain questions to AI chatbots. A popular chatbot workaround, however, included asking the bot to answer a forbidden question as if it was a bedtime story delivered from your grandmother. The bot would then frame the answer in the form of a story, providing the information it would not otherwise. So if you ever find yourself in a 2001 A Space Odyssey type situation, you'll know how to get Hal to open the doors. And Catholic News Agency reports police arrest a man accused of vandalizing an El Paso Catholic church. Police in El Paso announced that they have arrested Isaac Jordan Soto Olivares, who was suspected of vandalizing a Catholic church in the city earlier this month. It was also observed that 666 was written on several items inside the church, including a rosary candle, a mirror, and on a tabernacle. Lord have mercy. Soto Olivares was observed in security footage committing the desecration. The police said the damages totaled upwards of $4,100. Those were your breaking news and headlines for now. Keep it dialed on Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from Matthew chapter 13. We are going on to the next parable our Lord gives us. Now, he talks up here about the mustard seed and the heaven being like leaven. Now, it's important to keep this in mind because many people would immediately stop here in verse 32 when he says, which is the least indeed of all seeds, referring to the mustard seed. And people would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the case. There's actually seeds that are smaller. Therefore, the Bible is an error. Therefore, Jesus can't be God. Now, it's very clear that our Lord is referring to what the people knew. He's talking to a very a group of people. And, of course, our Lord, as God, knew everything. But he also knew the people that he's referring to don't know about things that are not in their vicinity. So when he says the least of all seeds, he means the least of all seeds that are known to these people that I'm talking to. Now, Cornelius Lapidae actually says that in the translation, in the original translation, it doesn't say least of all seeds, uh, but uh, the least of seeds, meaning that the, in the biblical sense, whenever people, whenever our Lord would say things like, um, you have to hate your father and mother, it was a biblical way of saying to love less. And so they mean, mean a lesser seed, a seed that is smaller. And so that's what is meant. So lest anyone immediately come off the bat and be like, aren't poppy seeds smaller than mustard seeds? Um, <laughs> they're just going to cut that off right at the heels. Now he goes on and says, but when it grown up, it is grown up. It is greater than all herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and dwell in the branches thereof. Now Cornelius Alapide, when commenting on this, says that the branches thereof are the apostles and the saints, and that the that the birds of the air refer to the angels, that the angels come and they dwell upon it. And the kingdom of heaven is the sea, the entirety of the tree together. 
And so the inhabitants of that tree is, in fact, the heavenly kingdom. Now, this is important to keep in mind because it is something small that grows. And this goes against what people have this kind of worldly idea and say, we could never convert the world. We could never change anything. Everything is so bad. How could we possibly change it? Well, remember, we created Christendom beginning with 12 apostles. Just 12 apostles changed the world. And St. James, when he went to Spain, he converted Spain by how many people did he convert in Spain? How many people do you think James converted when he went to Spain? The answer Eight. He created eight disciples in Spain, and those eight disciples converted all of Spain to the Catholic faith. A very beautiful thing. So let's keep that in mind, that all it takes is a mustard seed. And that little mustard seed, with it's sown into good soil, and it is fostered with the word of God and the kingdom of heaven, and all the angels and saints showering upon them the great cloud of witnesses, something great can come of it. Now, another parable he spoke to them in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. Now, this is important to keep in mind. Why is a leaven spoken of rather than the actual bread itself? Well, this is because, according to Cornelius Alapidae, that this shows a fundamental change in the actual object, because these things, which was once something else, it is then created as 11, you let it sit out, it grows, it is put into the fire, and then it turned into bread. Now, this is like our life, because the Protestants will say that we are fundamentally broken, destroyed, we are dung, and our Lord covers us up. And Martin Luther, he himself said that we are a pile of dung, and our Lord just covers us with snow, so when the Lord looks upon us, they see the snow and not the dung. This is not the Catholic faith. The Catholic faith says, no, we can actually be transformed. We can be evil. We could be wicked, but we can, in fact, be good, which is evident by the fact that our Lord commanded us to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And our Lord would not command us to do anything that is impossible. And so by the grace of God, we can be transformed into sons of the father, not mere servants, not mere dung covered with snow. It is not that God is disguising us, it's tricking the Father. No, instead, we can actually be good. How? By the grace of God. How? By practicing the virtues. How? By prayer and sacrifice. We'll be right back talking more about sacrifice. Coming up next. Hey, Donnie, what are the four Gospels in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And who baptized Jesus? St. John the Baptist. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a fanatic? Well, have you ever heard someone defending animal rights as if they have completely forgotten about human rights? G.K. Chesterton says that is a perfect example of a fanatic. Someone with a sense of a particular truth that is too strong for his sense of the universal truth. He will invoke even cruelty to prevent cruelty to animals. 
Later, he may even invoke cruelty to animals to prevent cruelty to pit ponies. It is not merely that he has kept one thing and lost a thousand things. He has lost the basis even of the one thing. For a man cannot long remain right without a reason. We must accept all the universal truths so that we don't go off balance with one particular truth. And where do we find the perfect balance of all universal truths? In the Catholic Church. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be home with you today. Praise be to God. It is 17 past the hour. And I wanted to share this story with you because I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was kind of funny, but it's also really bad because um, people will try to create these narratives and they formulate it in such a way that nobody knows the truth. And so first I want to talk about the funny aspect of it, then I want to get into the serious aspect of it. A progressive lawmaker mocked after going on dramatic thirst strike outside Capitol for eight hours. This is kind of funny because uh, eight hours is not that long. (laughs) It's not that long. Um, Now, obviously, if you're doing hard labor, that would be a long time. Like, I used to play football, and we would have water breaks throughout the day. And even then, it was like playing football in Texas heat, 100 and something degrees, running around turf field. They had the the, um, news crew come out one time, and they... They clocked our turf field, and it was like 120-something degrees. Uh, and they clocked our helmets, and they were like 115 degrees. That's it? <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, exactly right. <laughs> and uh, so I understand that. It gets, it gets hot when you're doing physical labor, when you're working hard. But this guy stood outside. He sat on the steps of the Capitol building without eating or drinking for eight hours and acted like it was like a big deal. Guys, I am perpetually dehydrated. <laughs> this is not impressive to me. It's, it's, though, you know what's interesting, though? Because I was thinking when he was saying that, I was like, how many of us cannot fast from midnight until Holy Communion? They can't make that little sacrifice to say, and these are people who are not sitting outside. They're people who are waking up in the morning, brushing their teeth, getting dressed, and heading to Mass, no? And they're saying, oh, I need to eat something before going to church. Unless you have a medical problem. Obviously, the rule always is... These are general statements. If you have a particular medical problem, then that is particular to you. Because I have to say that because people are always like, well, I have it. I'm like, well, if it doesn't apply to you, then it doesn't apply to you. But I'm talking generally speaking. If you're a healthy human being, then you can, in fact, fast from midnight until Holy Communion. Obviously, the church doesn't require that. The church what will, if you go to 5 p.m. Mass on well, Sunday? Then the... Uh, First five o'clock mass is kind of a is a kind of an abrogation. So I mean, yes, it's fine to go to five o'clock mass, but <laughs> the church rule is one hour, and so that means as long as you're eating as you're walking into church, that you can still receive communion, because uh, that's what the rule is. <laughs> right. It's literally an hour before receiving holy communion. Now they changed it once they implemented five o'clock mass. They changed it to three hours. So within three hours after before mass, don't eat or drink anything. Um, obviously medicine is fine. If you have to have water, you can have water, but come on three hours without water. I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, so that's kind of the rule. Three hours is the, it's kind of a laudable one hour is rule. If we're going to mass before noon, try to just make that sacrifice, say midnight until Holy communion afterwards, go get your donuts and kolaches and, and your coffee and you enjoy yourself. But 
I think we can make that little sacrifice. I think we can make that little sacrifice. Now, back to this this representative Greg Kaysar. The reason why he did this was because he was coming up against the Texas bill that was saying that he they which he's accusing of saying that they are not going to give drink to uh, to they're not going to give water to um, workers to laborers in Texas. That's the accusation. They said Governor Abbott has banned water breaks in Texas. This is not the case. And I went to go find an article kind of laying it out, and I could not find one. Every single article that I found, every single one, was accusing Greg Abbott of banning water breaks for laborers, which if that was the case, that would be really, really bad. Because, yes, you 100% need water breaks if you're going to be working in Texas heat. That would be very evil of Greg Abbott if that was the case. The bill says nothing about water breaks. If you actually read the bill, it does not mention water breaks not one time in the bill. Because the bill was about universalizing laws in Texas. It was saying that local localities cannot go beyond the scope of the Texas or federal laws. So they can't implement laws that go beyond what the state of Texas and the federal government has required. That's what the law says. The reason why he did this law was because he was saying it was actually for to help small businesses. They're saying that there are a lot of local laws within counties, within cities, things like that, that are hurting small businesses because they have to be able to know the federal law, the state law, the county law, the city law. And even further, you could have even local, more local laws. They're saying this is not helpful to small businesses. In regards to this particular issue, he said nothing about it. So what they did was the left was like, how do we attack this bill? Oh, let's find the most ridiculous conclusion to this bill as possible because some cities like Austin, San Antonio, and a couple other cities have laws that say that you have to, it's mandated, you have to have a break every four hours that takes 10 minutes to rest. That's a requirement by the city law. And they're saying, oh, these laws will be gotten rid of because of this other law. Therefore, Greg Abbott is banning water breaks. That's, what the, that's the logic that they're using. Now, the reason why this is not the case is because water breaks are already required by OSHA, which is federal, and the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA. So if your employer is not giving you water breaks, is not supplying you with what you need, the answer is make an OSHA violation. Call them in an OSHA violation. It's very simple. And no employer wants to have OSHA called on them. So just even bring it up, they'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 take your break, take your break. Uh, nobody wants OSHA on them because that is like the worst possible thing for them. So this is the, this is the bad side was this guy doing that's kind of funny, but this is the result. And we have to keep this in mind when we see just information about this. They, these performative acts to shut down because they're calling it the death act. That's what they're calling it. And it's like, <laughs> guys, you are the most ridiculous people ever. Like, this is not what Greg Abbott is doing. And, and it could be argued. Maybe the state of Texas should have a law universally, though I don't think it should. Because what if you live in North Texas versus where you live in West Texas versus East Texas or just Central Texas? The weather is radically different. And so and people are saying there should be, and they said, well, OSHA doesn't have a universal law about breaks. Of course they don't. Because if you're living in somewhere that it's cold all the time, you don't need the same kind of break as you would if you're in Texas. It's absurd to try to say that these have to do a thing that has to have everything needs to be universalized. Instead, 
the rule says ensures that workers have access to portable drinking water and they're allowed reasonable breaks to stay hydrated. That's the rule. So that can be interpreted. Now, if you think that it's being violated in your state, in your area, well, you let OSHA know. You let the FLSA know. And so the FLSA rule is that breaks required are 5 to 20 minutes. And so this is already things that are happening in the federal level. So we just have to make sure these things are being enforced and not just say, okay, well, if they're not giving you those things, therefore the state of Texas is at fault. Instead, your employer is at fault. And, of course, your employer, which can be negotiated by your employees or if you're part of a union, your union would negotiate these things, would negotiate with your employer that they would give you even longer breaks. They could even. They could say, okay, well, we're going to give a 30-minute break every four hours, and they could do that. The other thing that he's failing to mention also is that most of these people get um, lunch breaks. So it would really be four hours and then four hours. So within an eight-hour day, you'd have at least one water break anyway. But obviously, it'd be better to have more. So anyway, that's the story there. And I wanted to bring it up just because it is a perfect example of the performative acts, like AOC taking the pictures of by herself, clinging to the fence, looking at the migrants. And then a wider shot was shown, and it's actually she's in a parking lot. And there's nobody around, and she's just doing a photo stunt. Uh, These things happen all the time. So let's take these stories with a grain of salt whenever we see them. And it looks like uh, Cooler talks back on the menu, boys. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so this other story I think is interesting as well. As Pope Francis is asked to denounce bullfighting by animal rights activists. And they're calling um, Pope Francis to account. Isn't it random? That's the most random? random thing I've ever read that they want Pope Francis to denounce. Yeah, it is kind of strange that they're doing that. It's uh, interesting they're coming out saying that Pope Francis needs to deny He said that Pope Francis has been praised by the Humane Society and other environmentalist groups, but he has to come out against this. It's kind of interesting, I suppose, this idea. Um, however, you know, it made me think, though, the reason why I came up and why I kind of dwelled on it was because I thought it was an interesting question. Like, are bullfighting... Is bullfighting immoral? Certainly, it makes me queasy. I don't really like the idea of it. But the question is, is it immoral? And so I was looking into bullfighting, and I was like, okay, so what, what is the history about bullfighting? Because it, was, it even specified in the article that it was created in the 13th century, and it's been done in mm-hmm. Catholic Spain for over 800 years. So if it's something that the church has allowed to happen for 800 years— I have a really hard time saying, okay, it's wrong. And that's kind of my principal position. Whenever I see something that's old and done consistently for a long period of time, my immediate disposition is, okay, even if I don't like it, I can't come out and condemn it just outright. I need to understand it. It's kind of like Chesterton's fence. If there's a fence built in the middle of a forest and you see it, don't just destroy it because you don't understand why it's there. Figure out why it's there. And then if it still seems reasonable to destroy it, then you can remove the fence. But first you have to understand it. So I'm like, okay, let me look into this whole bullfighting thing. As it turns out, bullfighting first started because there was an infestation of wild bulls. And so people were uh, leading to personal combat with the bulls where knights on cavalry would go wow. and they kill the bulls. So that's where it started, which actually makes me think of the where alligator wrestling came into place in the South because People would lead there, and I went to, the only reason why I know this because I went to the um, 
Alligator World. Yeah, Alligator World in, 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 <laughs> in Florida. Florida. Yeah, and so they were talking about the that whenever they would travel, these uh, people with um, with cattle and things like that, and horses, they bring them to the watering holes, and gators would leap out of the water oh, and man. kill their oh, cattle. Man. And so these men learn how to wrestle alligators, and they would jump into the water and pull the gators out. They'd kill the gators. They would eat the gators. And they would uh, then be able to have their horse and stuff be able to drink the water. And then they would make boots out of the alligator skin. Exactly. exactly. Wow, that'll put some hair on your chest. I yeah, honestly. That. Isn't that super cool? <laughs> and so it's like, okay, when you kind of understand the history of it, it's like, okay, it's less weird. It's like, but we kind of almost wiped out all the alligators because of that. So then we kind right. of protected the gators after that. So that's how it started. And then over time, it became this this act of, uh, of chivalry. So people were showing how they could face up against these animals. And the other principle to know is that they always ate the animal. Always. They killed the animal and they ate it completely. Now, this happened over time. Things developed. And, in fact, King St. Ferdinand praised El Cid, who was a great bullfighter. And that, during this time, it was still done on horseback. Over time, whenever it became more set up for amusement, Isabella, Queen Isabella, the one who sent um, Christopher Columbus to the New World, did not like it. And he, she actually wanted to condemn it, but it was so ingrained in the culture at the time that they could not do it. It's also important to note that Pius V, St. Pius V, he condemned bullfighting and prohibited the form of it as amusement everywhere. And all clergymen were banned from attending. All clergymen and religious were banned from attending uh, bullfighting. But it was never condemned for the layman for some reason. So I, I'm looking into this whole bullfighting thing. I think it's really fascinating history. We may touch on this later and dive into the morality of it. And I think there's much more that could be said about it. But we'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologist. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here's some more breaking news and headlines. The Blaze reports secret Chinese-linked biotech lab uncovered in California with nearly a 1,000 mice, 20 potentially infectious agents, COVID tests, and human blood. 
Fresno County authorities have discovered an unlicensed laboratory inside a warehouse in Reedley, California. The secret lab was owned by Prestige Biotech, a company registered in Las Vegas, Nevada. Prestige Biotech claimed it moved assets to the warehouse from the now-defunct Universal Meditech, Inc. The other addresses provided for identified authorized agents were either empty offices or addresses in China that could not be verified. And Breitbart reports Zelensky signs law rejecting Orthodox Christmas state to abandon Russian heritage. The explanatory note attached to the law said its goal is to abandon the Russian heritage, including that of imposing the celebration of Christmas on January 7th. Last year, some Ukrainians already observed Christmas on December 25th in a gesture that represented separation from Russia, its culture, and religious traditions. In case you're confused about Orthodox Christmas, the Catholic Church first adopted a, the more astronomically precise Gregorian calendar in the 16th century. Protestants and some Orthodox churches have since aligned their own calendars for the purpose of calculating Christmas and Easter. And the Loop reports, DOJ moves to jail key Hunter Biden witness. The Justice Department pushed for Davon Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner, to report to prison just days ahead of his anticipated congressional testimony. Manhattan federal prosecutors on Saturday filed a letter requesting a judge to set a date for Archer to start his one-year sentence in a fraud case unrelated to Hunter Biden's various scandals. And those are your headline news this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Before we jump in, we're going to have a conversation about pro-life news, kind of like a pro-life roundup. I kind of wanted to finish our conversation about bullfighting real quick. Oh, yeah. Um, Let's do it. The, and probably we'll, we'll pick up the conversation further. The, when Pius V condemned bullfighting, it was whenever bullfighting had become purely entertainment-wise. And so the moralists kind of had questions about the, whether or not this was good. But it's interesting to note that the moralists, when they were talking about it, talked about the casualties to humans. Mm. And they weren't really concerned about the bulls. It's interesting to note because in our modern world, and I think it has a lot to do with like the Disneyfication of animals. Right. The anthropomorphizing of animals. Everybody thinks that animals have human souls. They think they reason, they think, they act like humans. But they're not. But humans have dominion over them. We're allowed to eat them. We're allowed to do these things. And so people are kind of treat these animals, the vegan movement. They kind of have that idea of them. So the more or less we're more concerned about what it does to humans and that it kind of denigrates humans. And that's why they shouldn't do it. And the shedding of human blood. Now, that's kind of the main reason that they gave for why it would be wrong. And I think that's interesting to keep in mind. It also said that, therefore, it can't be intrinsically evil because there are other things like acrobatics are very dangerous. Tightrope dancers and tamers of wild beasts are also barbarous and threatening of the, the people, but they are not condemned by the church. Underwater Either. basket weaving. Underwater basket weaving. I've done that three times today. That is uh, <laughs> thrilling. Very thrilling. Very thrilling. <laughs> and also, here's the most interesting thing. The, one of the notes that they made is that, hey, listen to this. The modern theater is frequently more evil in its effects than bullfighting, which whatever else may be said of it arouses no immoral or antisocial passions. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? They're saying that, mm, yeah, we probably want to condemn bullfighting, but the modern theater is actually more evil than bullfighting because it produces greater evil in humans than bullfighting does. 
and we're not talking about the the modern theater now. Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking about the modern theater, the modern back, theater then. back then. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we don't have to remind you how awful the, a lot of these films are. Yeah, so it's really interesting. And also, the last thing to note, and I'd love to pick up this conversation a second time, is that uh, it's false to say that the Spanish clergy encouraged these spectacles because they never did, because it was condemned for the Spanish clergy or all clergy in the world to participate or even attend the uh, bullfighting. So it's definitely something that's worthy of discussion. I think it's a very interesting situation, the whole history of it. And I'd love to talk more about it because it's interesting to see the way it developed over time. I'd be very curious uh, to learn more about it. If anyone knows more information about it, I'd love to know because I was just reading a couple articles I could find about it. And I'd love to hear more about a defense of bullfighting because honestly, I mean, to me, it just seems icky. But I think that there's something there's something there, something interesting there. And certainly people who are able to do it, the men who do it, despite anything else, like, wow, that is a really really like brave thing to do like i would never stand in front of a bull and try to fight it like no thank you <laughs> would you ever ride no, a bull you. uh probably not to be honest mm. maybe if i was if i learned if i had a i don't know maybe not i don't know I learn you just have to hold on that's all <laughs> you're right i can't even hold on to a mechanical bull better yet a, a real bull like no thank you no thank you okay let's get on uh, the joining us right now is kim schwartz she's the media director for Texas Right to Life. Good morning to you, Kim. Good morning. Uh, Kim, it's lovely to have you on today. You uh, actually reached out to me. We're like, hey, I've, I heard you. Uh, we have some mutual friends, and I'd love to chat with you about uh, Texas uh, Right to Life and, and pro-life news. So I thought that was an interesting idea. So I was like, okay, uh, let's come on and let's talk about a kind of a, a pro-life news roundup. So let's start with uh, a story that you had mentioned to me, uh, the Biden defense bill. Let's start there. Uh, what's what's the let's start with what it is. What are we talking about here? Absolutely. We've had a very busy month uh, as the pro-life movement, kind of our own bullfight here, maybe a little bit tougher. Uh, last, As soon as Roe v. Wade was overturned, the Biden administration immediately started seeking ways to try to uh, impose its abortion agenda across the entire nation. Biden to his credit, actually realizes that there are some limitations to the executive branch, that he can't just uh, have an executive order all over the place uh, when it comes to abortion. But he's tried to do what he can to continue abortions up to the moment of birth everywhere for any reason. And so the way that he's done this here with the Department of Defense and the military is forcing taxpayers to pay for abortion expenses. Like if there is a military member who wants an abortion just for any reason uh, and they have to go to another state, taxpayers foot that bill for that hotel room, for any Mm. meals that they have, even service members' families. So it's really disgusting, especially for a man who claims to be our Catholic president. And um, so the... This started last October, then the Department of Defense implemented this policy in February without the approval of Congress. So Republicans have rightly uh, condemned this and tried to take action to stop it. And of course, the media is saying like, oh, my gosh, you Republicans are politicizing the military when really it was the Biden administration who changed the status quo and then Republicans trying to restore it back to normalcy. Uh, So the way that Republicans are fighting back, especially um, this month and within the last couple months, Tommy Tupperbill, the uh, senator, senator from Alabama, is holding up defense nominations until the Biden administration stops this policy of forcing taxpayers uh, to pay for military members' abortions. 
And then the second news that kind of happened this month was that uh, House Republicans passed the defense bill with an amendment that says the Biden administration cannot continue this abortion policy. So they attacked on an amendment to restore the Department of Defense previous position of not paying for elective procedures like abortions and transgender surgeries and things like that. Now, the Senate, though, uh, does not see it the same way. So they had just passed the bill, the same bill last week, but without the amendments. So we're kind of in this back and forth here with Democrats really digging their feet in on uh, the abortion issue and forcing taxpayers to uh, fund abortions um, for military members and uh, House Republicans trying to get that back to normalcy. So we're going to keep seeing this fight go back and forth, but that's where we are right now. That reminds me, um, the situation with the abortion in the military, there was also a couple articles that I remember seeing about women in the military saying, we need abortion rights because uh, otherwise women can't be in the military. And I was thinking, this is the greatest argument I ever heard for not having women in the military. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, women get pregnant. That's what happens. And if it becomes, say, okay, well, now women have to have abortions in order to, to be in the military, well, then... I guess women can't be in the military because if it requires killing babies, isn't it the whole point of the military to defend U.S. citizens? So why are we murdering U.S. citizens in order to have the military? That's very strange, I would think. Um, what's the, what are your thoughts on that? Likewise, I think that's an inherently anti that uh, the these service members saying that women have to have abortions uh, in order to be successful in whichever uh, path they want to pursue, whether if even if that is the military. Uh, that that's an inherently anti-woman statement of saying uh, we cannot be equal unless we can kill our children and just to count women so short in that way that we cannot overcome difficult challenges if it's a pregnancy that might come from a difficult situation that you can't overcome that and that you have to have a victim in your place and that is not the way that the Lord designed the human family that's not the way that just instinctively um, people know that there's something wrong with that, with uh, choosing another victim to go in your place. And instead, we can, whenever we choose life, all of us are lifted up. And that's really uh, where, where the direction that we need to go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, there are some other stories we want to go to cover. Texas heartbeat bill saves 10,000 lives, so some good news. Uh, plus, did you hear about New Mexico? We talked about this a little bit before. And Ohio abortion amendment coming up in November. Very concerning. All this coming up just in one moment. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Haven't you honestly wondered, why do all the different denominations break away from each other? Timeline, 1500s, Luther breaks from the Catholic Church. 16th century, John Knox is influenced by Calvin and breaks from Luther, thus the Presbyterians. 17th century, John Smith then breaks away and starts the Baptist. 18th century, Wesley breaks and starts the Methodist. Even crazier are all the scores of non-denominational individuals who break from each other, generally due to cosmic ego and, quote, a new revolution. Well, here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Judges 21 says, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Secondly, physics. Once the dam breaks, water goes where it will. Luther broke Canon Law 331, which says about the Pope, By virtue of his office, he possesses supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary power in the church. And thirdly, my take. Gifted theologians can be just like my fourth grade friend who said, I'm taking my bat and ball and going home. 
Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you. Uh, we're talking with Kim Schwartz. She is the media director for the Texas Right to Life. And we're talking about some pro-life news, kind of a pro-life news roundup. And before we went to break, we are talking about the Biden defense bill. And now I want to talk about the Texas Heart Bill, Heartbeat Bill. I think this was a, a great... Um, result that we saw, something that could be imitated in other states. Um, Kim, what say you, what was the Texas Heart Bill and what's the good news? The Texas Heartbeat Act was the boldest pro-life measure to take effect uh, while Roe v. Wade was still in effect. Recall the uh, Texas Heartbeat Act took effect in September 2021 and banned abortions when the child's heartbeat can be detected. And this was groundbreaking. The world had never seen this. And so what actually we saw at Texas Right to Life was the entire ire of the pro-abortion movement focused directly on Texas. And it really uh, foreshadowed the anger that was going to come out when Roe v. Wade was overturned. But it was just so interesting to see all of that ire focused on one place. And it was really eye-opening um, when that was that ire of the pro-abortion movement was focused on Texas Right to Life. We actually had three bomb threats. We had uh, people show up at our events to protest. We had communist rioters throw smoke bombs at us. Um, it was really telling that once you devalue life in the womb, you also devalue life outside the womb. And that's really what we saw. But the Texas Heartbeat Act, uh, since it's been in effect since September 2021, new report says that we have saved 10,000 lives at least and this is from the Journal of the American Medical Association. They found that from April to December 2022, there were about 10,000 more babies born than if the law had not been in effect. So praise be Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, that's so good. I'd love to hear it. The, the good news of, uh, of saved lives. Uh, but, you know, immediately when I saw that number, I really wanted to um, compare it to the increase in abortions that were happening in, for instance, New Mexico. And so what about abortion tourism, as people are calling it? Absolutely. We see these continued threats. Now, it's important whenever we look at our victories, like the Texas Heartbeat Act, like Roe v. Wade being overturned and abortions being banned from the moment of fertilization in Texas, that's huge news. But that is not uh, a sign that the pro-life movement is done. That is not a sign that women are no longer considering abortion. It's true that women still are considering abortion and seeking that in other states. And you have organizations like Planned Parenthood and uh, groups online still trying to push abortions as much as possible. So we see this take shape in uh, abortion tourism. You'll notice, especially here in Houston, there are still Planned Parenthood clinics all over. And people ask me, well, what are they doing now? Are they still pushing abortion? Yes, they're, they're sending women to other states. And we really see this in New Mexico. They're um, our closest neighbor that allows abortion um, for any reason with very, very lax laws. There's no waiting period. There are no parental consent requirements. So a minor can go to New Mexico and have an abortion without her parents knowing it. 
and there's no uh, things like state mandated counseling or anything, you can really see the uh, the fervor of states like New Mexico and how much they truly love abortion. And it's disgusting. They really just want women in and out as quick as possible, even if it's not in the best interest of the woman. It never is in the best interest of the woman. And so uh, we've seen some reports that say uh, abortion from in 2022, from April to August 2022, there were about 100 more abortions per month. And they're trying to increase that, which is even more sickening. It's not enough that they already saw a natural increase. They want even more. Um, You also saw some towns in New Mexico, like uh, eastern New Mexico is actually pretty conservative. Uh, And and I know it's shocking for a state as blue as New Mexico. They do have some uh, red counties and cities over in the rural parts of New Mexico. So you saw some of these local governments actually pass their own abortion bans that say an abortion clinic um, here on the border of Texas cannot open here because uh, we as a community, that's not our values. And the uh, the statewide government, though, of New Mexico, they are so, so in love with abortion that they um, passed a bill and the governor signed in uh, May of this year, overriding some of those local abortion bans. And so, uh, again, you're going to see this increase with um, a, a town called Hobbs, New Mexico. I don't know if any of you guys are, are familiar with that town, but I'm from West Texas, so mm. uh, I'm, I'm familiar. But there's a new abortion clinic that just opened five miles from the Texas border in New Mexico. And so they're really trying to bring more Texas women into New Mexico and indeed other states, um, just trying to bring them into Mm -hmm. these friendly states to abortion as much as possible. And so it's it's so important for the pro-life movement to realize that that sidewalk counselor mentality of like whenever we whenever Planned Parenthood down the street was committing abortions here in Texas and we could isolate that and know where all the abortions were happening, now we have to be always have that side cou- sidewalk counselor mentality, always be aware and ready to talk to a woman who might be pregnant, talk about our values of um, life is a gift from the very moment of conception, and that if uh, a friend or a family member might become pregnant unexpectedly, to say, you know, you have support here, we value your life, we value the life of your unborn child, and we're going to help you drive you to doctor's appointments, we're going to help you babysit, cook meals for you, really lay out that support of what that would look like if uh, this were to happen, instead of um, letting, just assuming that women aren't considering abortion anymore, because this is happening and it's going under the radar. You know, it's interesting, when I was, a couple years ago, I went out with my friend, Mr. Cesar, with the TFP. We drove out to El Paso to participate in El Paso Right to Life, uh, or to Paso, El Paso's March for Life, rather. And we um, were there, and we were talking to some of the people there, just kind of get the the ambiance and kind of what the what people were thinking. And it was interesting to see that there was a lot of people from New Mexico participating in the, the March for Life in El Paso. And it was kind of amongst the milieu that they were trying to help push for the March for Life in texas and push for it to be banned in texas and then the idea was that a lot of the people there would assist in helping new mexico and it really tells us it really opens a door to us and says we cannot have this mentality that we just need to take care of ourselves it's kind of it's almost a selfishness that we do have to worry about other people's sins because other people's sins even if the people think they're private everyone's sins affects everyone else and so the fact that New Mexico still has this affects Texas. 
And so it, it becomes almost necessary that we, as Texans, assist the cities and the states surrounding us because that affects us. Uh, what say you about that? Absolutely. And I'd like to add um, the ab- New Mexico is just so dedicated to abortion that even the Satanic Temple sees it. And the Satanic Temple earlier this year opened up their own abortion clinic Mm. in New Mexico and specifically said that they want to uh, bring in women from other states as much as possible to push the abortion pills as much as they can. And so the fact that the Satanic Temple has opened their own abortion clinic and mostly doing the the telemedicine with uh, online abortion pills really shows you that whatever the Satanic Temple is doing, just do the opposite. So, Typically good policy. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and so you can see they see they have a stake in this fight. They see um, the value that New Mexico brings to the their side of the abortion fight. And so we have to do um, with more fervor exactly the opposite of what they're doing. Amen. Amen. Um, who was it? Someone said um, that the uh, the the good people have no fervor and the evil have all the fervor. And I think it was Fulton Sheen. There was a quote of Fulton Sheen. He basically says something along the lines of uh, the problem with the world today is that the, the good people have all truth but no fervor and the evil have no truth but all fervor. And I think that's a grave problem we have today. In the last couple of minutes we have with you right now, we have about five minutes before we go to a break for the top of the hour. The Ohio abortion amendment. This is a big deal. This is absolutely huge. And I'm surprised that it's not getting as much attention as I, I think it deserves. What's happening there? Yeah. Now you see, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, you see a lot of the abortion fight going state by state. Now it's important to know that when the Supreme Court uh, decided the Dobbs case last June, that they didn't say it goes back to the states. They say it goes back to elected officials. So that's going to include Congress. That's also going to include state legislatures. So we see the battle continue. Um, in every single state, basically starting from square one, some of these states like being exactly where they were as if Roe v. Wade had never been overturned. Now, Ohio is in a very difficult position right now where um, they had uh, mustered enough uh, signatures to get a constitutional amendment to be on the ballot this November to enshrine abortion on demand up to birth for any reason in their constitution. So you can imagine how that would just cause abortions to explode in the state. If you see uh, this uptick in places like New Mexico, you're going to see uh, even greater, if we saw this last year with Kansas, you're going to see it even more in Ohio. So there's a couple steps though before we get there. And the most important one, again, like I said, the the ballot is going to be um, in the November election. But there's a step before that, and it's a question on August 8th that voters are going to decide whether this uh, ballot measure is going to need to pass by just 51 percent, a bare majority, or if it should be a supermajority at 60 percent. And I think logically we all kind of know, like, if you're going to make a uh, change as big as a constitutional amendment, you should make sure you have as many people on board as you can. And so Catholic groups, pro-life groups like Ohio Right to Life are pushing for uh, voters to say on the election, special election on August 8th, to make sure that this amendment requires a 60 percent majority. And so we're going to see uh, if that's going to go our direction there. We do want the 60 percent majority uh, because, you know, we don't want abortion in any state constitution. And so right here with Ohio, this fight 
um, really heating up. This is pretty fresh. Um, so we have to pray for our friends in Ohio. This is a very difficult um, uh, situation for them to be in. We saw it with Kansas last year. And something that um, our president at Texas Right to Life said to me, um, Dr. John Sego, was that democracy only works with the people who are honest, a people who are virtuous. And so whenever you see groups like uh, Planned Parenthood and even the media just pushing all of this propaganda, saying that if uh, we don't have legal abortion, women will not be able to have miscarriages treated. Or if women don't have abortion, they're going to be dying uh, in the back alleys all over the streets. And whenever you have that very blatantly false propaganda just all over the place and people are buying it, especially from whenever I don't think I don't know if anybody thinks the media is credible anymore, but apparently <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, there are there are some people, at least a handful uh, who still think that the media is credible and they buy it. And so that's why we saw things like uh, th this constitutional amendment last year in Kansas go the pro-abortion way. And now um, abortion is enshrined in the Kansas Constitution um, and has been thanks to their Supreme Court. Ohio could be going the same direction. Mm. We don't want that. So we really need to pray. Uh, for success on August 8th in the special election, that it'll get the 60% uh, uh, supermajority, and then pray for victory uh, in November as well. Amen, amen. So pray for that, and let your friends know if they're in Ohio, they need to be aware of this situation so they can go out and make sure their voices are heard. And that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about modesty, that's always a controversial topic. The Art of Dress, What Nuns Can Teach Us. A great article from 1 Peter 5. We're going to be talking about that coming up in the next hour. But God bless you. God love you. And we'll be right back right after this. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help 
I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I am Father Tom Smithson, pastor of Corpus Christi Parish, and you're listening to AM 1430, KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, it's super interesting. This conversation is always a hot button issue. Uh, you know, I rarely get complaints whenever I talk about male modesty. And I'd say men should dress better, men should act better. No one complains about that. When I talk about female modesty, people lose their minds. It's you get strange. a lot of push. You, you don't get pushback for men. Yeah, never. Really? Yeah, only I do all o- the time. Only from other men, and they're just like, "Oh, well, it's fine what I'm doing." Uh, but from the women, they never complain about it. I get a lot of pushback because I want to return to 16th century men's dress. <laughs> and people are always like, no, that's too absurd. Look at those frilly shirts. That's that's totally not okay for now. Yeah, dude. If you were wearing those frilly shirts the way they did before with all the feathers and everything. With the, hose, with, the t- with the pantyhose. And, I'd be like, uh, like low-key, dude, you're kind of gay. And buckles on my shoes. And, uh, man. Yeah. Maybe a Victorian wig. I. Definitely, Maybe. if you were wearing a Depending wig. Depending on where we're going, I, I would definitely know. be questioning your sexuality. No, come on. <laughs> come on. I would definitely be. I would definitely be doing that. But no, it's, uh, but yeah, whenever I bring up uh, female modesty, people lose their minds. Uh, so I think this is a very good article, though, and worthy of discussion. Anna Kalinowski, which, you know, this is my bad. This is my bad. I reached out to her to get her for an interview because she actually has an, a series on modesty. This is the fourth part in her series, and I highly recommend uh, you check out this article. She links up the other three articles in the series. Highly recommend reading all of them. I, inter- I invited her on. She said yes, and then I got busy and forgot to um, forgot to confirm a date with her. So Classic. I just got to gotta go to reach back out to her and invite her back on. So here's her article. On a sunny April day in my freshman year of college, I yearned to wear a white eyelid dress to class. I tried to get up the nerve, but in the end, simply could not. What stopped me? Merely an army of wordless girls in baseball caps and t-shirts, leggings, high white socks, and sperries. I thought they looked ridiculous, like they had all gone dumpster diving in clothing donation boxes, but still I could not bear to make myself look markedly differently. The very loveliness of my dress would have set me too far apart. Surely it's a great disfigurement of human nature and a result of the fall that gives us comfort with ugliness so long as it's widespread and discomfort with beauty as long as it is rare. For ought not the reverse be true? And I've always said this. I'm like, somebody who wants to make money, if you start like a modest clothing brand, I feel like that, that's actually like nice because a lot of it's very, people describe it as frumpy. Um, it's like not, not very attractive. But if someone made very beautiful women's clothing and made that like a business i bet that would do so well because i mean one you market it to the mormons market it to some muslim groups market it to obviously traditional catholics uh, it should be all catholics in the whole world but unfortunately mostly just traditional catholics 
Um, the there's a bunch of other markets, the Amish things like that, and you can actually make uh, I think a pretty massive uh, market. Some of the more conservative Protestant groups, I think there would be a huge market for beautiful, modest women's clothing. I can tell you that the Mormons are laughing their way to the bank mm-hmm. because my wife had the trouble of trying to find a modest dress and. Nobody, nobody has them except the Mormons. So Vid Angel, they've got yeah, and the and Vid Angel. So they're, the they're cornering the market on, on modesty. Modesty, yeah. it's it's incredible. Oh yeah, where are the Catholics? Yeah, where are the Catholics? This used to be our field, no. So I think it's something that I would be. I think someone should definitely look into. Uh, maybe I'll do it. Just kidding. I don't. Know how to, I don't. Know how, I don't know how to make clothing. I have no idea to do that. So here she goes on. Most women desire to dress more beautifully, but most balk at the prospect of standing out in the crowd. The plot thickens for devout Catholic women. They have read saints who recommend utmost simplicity in dress, and they wonder if simplicity in their day means conformance to the athleisure imperative. Mm. I despise athleisure. At the very least, get rid of the athleisure. At the very least, the wearing of like workout clothes as your daily wear that's absurd. You're not working out. Why are you wearing workout clothing? This goes for men and women both. That makes no sense. So definitely should not be uh, wearing athleisure. If you can at least get rid of that, that would be a great step in the right direction. But what is simplicity? And is postmodern dress really simple? Simplicity, as described by Webster, is to be uncomplicated, free from guile and direct in expression. This corresponds with Aquinas' discussion of the divine simplicity of God and highlights the relationship of simplicity to honesty and truth. To dress simply is to dress honestly, that is to express the truth in one's visible appearance. Yeah, I think this is a big deal because this kind of idea of being simple, uh, people kind of reinterpret it to mean relaxed, meaning uh, whatever requires the least amount of effort. That's what people think simplicity means. And so people say, it's kind of a common trope. I just want to be comfortable. Oh, I like your clothes. Oh, thank you. It's really comfortable. That's the defining factor of clothing nowadays. And so if someone says, and I always bring this back to men because I'm a man and I, that's what I wear. Whenever people bring up the fact that I wear a suit and tie, and they're like, oh, well, aren't you hot in that? It's like, well, yeah, but that's okay. It's okay to be hot. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to suffer a little. It's not a big deal. I get that one a lot, too. They're like, oh, wool pants in summer? Guys, the Bedouins out in, in, in the desert are wearing more clothes than I am right now, and they're completely fine. Mm-hmm. It's not that hot. It's not that bad. Yeah, and especially in the 21st century, where it's like we walk from AC to AC. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, right? Yeah, it's like um, I'm walking from my house to my car to turn my AC on, and then I have to walk from my car into the office building, and those, like, 45 seconds between the car and the building. Adrian, I don't want to throw you off here, but you just sparked a little conspiracy theory in my mind. Okay, so there's this all this talk about climate change. It's getting hotter. Last summer, I don't remember it being this hot when I was a kid. Did we have as much AC as we did now back then? (laughs) Of course I wonder. Maybe we've lost our... uh, ability to 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 be temperate in the in, in the heat because we're in, true because we're in ac all the time anyway yeah. and it's like you look dress. at you look at the people the men and women and both men and women who are working in the fields women were wearing women clothing in the fields doing women work or doing uh doing yard work doing field work and the men were too the men were wearing pants overalls 
They're wearing uh, long sleeve shirts, and they were working in the fields, and there was no problem there. And I think that's very interesting to keep in mind. Now, the article goes on, clinging to T-shirts, yoga pants, and jeans cause so much attention to specific areas of a woman's body that they detract from her own personality, as expressed in her face, and deny the presence of her immortal soul. On the other hand, loose, baggy versions of the aforementioned speak so strongly of slovenliness, utility, and animal comfort that they contradict the ordered beauty of the human body and the eternal destiny of the soul. In short, whether clingy or baggy, erotic or comfortable, most current modes of, den- of dress deny the truth about who and what human beings actually are and therefore lack simplicity. Now, many mothers will complain about this with their kids, and then they'll do the exact opposite with themselves, which I think is kind of amusing. But they at least recognize that it's it disordered for their kids to be dressed that way, for young girls to be dressed like adult women, let's just say. The interesting thing is women will complain about their daughters dressing that way, but your daughters, are they working? How are they they getting that clothes? Exactly. And so how do you think they're dressed? If you don't want them to dress that way, then don't get them that clothes. Or don't give them the money to go and buy their own clothes. Right, exactly. And so it's like, obviously there are exceptions. Maybe you have a particularly rebellious child who will sneak out and get the clothes somehow, go find a secret job or something like that. But that's more of an exception than it is the rule. Generally speaking... Kids wear the clothes you give them. That's about it. And that's why it always blows my mind. Same thing with social media. I'm like, who bought your... You complained about your kids playing too much video games, watching too much TV, spending with too much time on social media. Where did they get those devices from? They didn't buy it. You bought it. It belongs to you. Throw it away, destroy it, get rid of it, take it from them. I mean, it's, it just doesn't, like, it blows my mind. I mean, my parents would do that to us all the time. Now, my, I remember my brother would, like, hide things in his room, and so my mom would have to come in. My little snitcher, my little sister would snitch on him, and my brother would Your come in. Snitcher. My mm. little snitcher. Freudian my little snitcher. My little sister. <laughs> <Freudian> <laughs> slip, exactly. Would come in, and, and she would tell on, tell on him, and he would get take away his stuff. Um my mom would take away my my books because we would I would be reading too much at night. And my older sister, my mom would take away her homework and her textbooks oh, because wow. she studied too much. <laughs> it was so funny. So, so what know. were you reading at night? Uh, Thomas uh, Aquinas? No, it's usually just fiction. I was uh, I didn't start getting into that until I was like in high school, in middle school. <laughs> I read a lot of just children's fiction, a lot of garbage. Nice. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I hid, um, it's a complete side note, I hid um, the Percy Jackson series because my mom didn't let us read Ooh. that because it was about the Greek gods. And so mm. my mom didn't let us read that. So I, I checked the books out from school and I would hide them and read them at night and hide them in my, under my pillow. Um, yeah, that was I was rebellious. Yeah, very bad. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, the article goes on. For a woman to speak the truth through her attire, she must dress with femininity order and grace and this she discovers true simplicity and follows ranks of female saints who have gone before her however where most saints enjoyed cultural climates with sure customs and promoted beauty suited to each class and state in life modern women find themselves in social anarchy that only ever promote ugliness women must now rediscover 
reassemble and create anew what is previous what in previous generations was handed from mother to daughter as a matter of course is exactly right i mean moms need to inculcate this in themselves in order to inculcate it in their daughters since there are currently very few women willing to commit themselves to this task those who do will inadvertently stand out it's not that their clothings will be unnatural or outlandish on the contrary it will be more natural exactly no one's asking uh, women or men to dress like the 16th century except for rudy he's the only one but uh, no one else is asking you to dress like that we're asking you to dress in a modest fashion according to the dictates of today not according to the standards of today but according to what is acceptable today so for instance formal wear for a man is wearing a suit and tie it's not wearing some uh, like a 16th century pantyhose and uh, clothes like that that's not the the dictates of today so instead of wearing it a t-shirt be. and jeans you're gonna wear a suit and tie um but yeah it could be but but not right now though it currently is not that in the reign of mary it shall be maybe maybe (laughs) in vietnam for instance there is different there's different standards of clothing and so you could wear a t-shirt and jeans in vietnam that would be very normal in vietnam but if you were trying to be counter-revolutionary in vietnam what you would do is you wouldn't wear a suit and tie you'd wear the traditional vietnamese garb obviously there'd be nothing wrong with wearing a suit and tie uh, but that's more of a western tradition if you're there it would be more acceptable to wear traditional eastern garb it is very modest. It covers the whole body, goes from head to toe, covers the skin. It's very modest, and yet it is still beautiful. Now, he goes on and says, More distinctly, humans than anything seen in the mainstream today, nevertheless, it will turn heads as a result of its striking rarity. Before the fall of Christendom, no one would fawn over a wool circle skirt or stop to exclaim over a straw hat. Now the wearer of such articles finds herself accosted by admiring strangers. And it is this that gives well-meaning women pause. They do not wish to attract attention to be celebrities. That's an interesting thing to note as well. I've heard from so many women that the reason why they don't wear veils is because they don't want to draw attention to themselves at mass. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's a good disposition. That's a good disposition. You should not want to draw attention to yourself. But the veil is not about you. It's about God. It's about doing what God desires. And so... If that draws attention, that is a foreseen but unintended consequence. You're not trying to say, now, if you wore this super elaborate veil that was super fancy and draws attention, you're like, obviously, okay, they need to calm it down a little bit. Uh, but the the idea itself of just standing out because you are modest, like, for instance, I, I stand out all the time. I get comments for wearing a suit and tie at very normal events. My intention is not to draw attention to myself. My intention is to be modest. And if that draws attention to you, then so be it. The same thing goes with just about anything. If being a holy person draws attention to yourself, that is a foreseen but unintended consequence. It is not a violation of modesty. So I recommend checking out the whole article. Anna Kalinowska. I think it's, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. These Polish names probably, I think, is uh, very difficult to pronounce for me. But check her article out, 1 Peter 5, and check out all her articles uh, on modesty. Very worthy of a read. But we're going to go into our Fear and Trembling game show. Call now, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. One more time, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran whose soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. Ever feel like life's just too much? Maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace today, begin at catholicscomehome.com. I used to wonder if God really cared about me. Then I started praying and going to church. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out catholicscomehome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling where we give out prizes and you could win. If you want to be a winner, all you have to do is dial now, 877-757-9424. That's the number, 877-757-9424. Now, you may be asking, what am I listening to? What's going on? Well, here I have three Catholic trivia questions. And the trick is, I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, I'm going to ask Rudy, the questions that means you don't even need to know the answers to be able to win because Rudy is going to give me an answer, and it's your job to tell me whether or not Rudy is right or whether or not Rudy is wrong. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. The prize pack this week is a bundle of items from Visions of Good Help. You can win an Our Lady of Good Help sticker pack. You can win a Queen of Heaven journal. You can win a Miraculous Metal tote bag. All of these items and more are included in this prize pack thanks to Visions of Good Help. Now, this prize pack has been generously donated by Theone Bell. Theone is an author of The Woman in the Trees, a novel based on America's first approved Marian apparition. You can buy that through Tan Books. She lives here in Houston with her husband and three children and four in heaven. She has an M.A. in international journalism and teaches literature to a room full of exuberant grade schoolers at her co-op. And she's recently written a, an awesome glory story, which is glory, stumber, glory story number 18, excuse me, of Our Lady of Champion with uh, Holy Heroes. Her picture book, Jellybean, was written after she lost a baby to stillbirth and will be out soon with Holy Heroes as well. You can check out her website at theonibell.com or Visions of the Good Help on Etsy. Thank you so much, Theoni. 
Wow. Praise be to God. What a grace. Thank you very much, Theoni Bell. Uh, so if you'd like to win that prize, make sure you call in 877-757-9424. That's the number to be able to be our contestant, to have a chance to win. Uh, but joining us right now is uh, Jude. Good morning to you, Jude. Yeah, good morning. How are you? Mr. Jude, this is Mr. Jude from St. Francis Cabrini in Houston. Yes, yes. Praise be to God. Well, it's nice to hear your voice again. Uh, a veteran caller, I may add. Now, Mr. Jude, um, her, where are you uh, heading to this morning? Yeah, uh, I'm heading to 9 a.m. Mass. Oh, you're heading into 9 a.m. Mass. Praise be to God. Well, it's good that you're uh, heading to Mass. Mass is always a blessing. Uh, if would you say a prayer for us, I would be very grateful for that. Yeah. Okay. Amen. Thank you very much. Now, Mr. Jude, you are familiar with the game. You know how to play. Are you ready to uh, to jump in with uh, Rudy Carlos? Uh, you've played with Rudy before. You have identified his tricks. So are you ready to play? Yes. Please. Well, let's do it. Question number one, Rudy. All right. Let's do it. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Well, the question on the board is, what is... The name of the place where nuns commonly live. Well, we've done this question. Oh, wait. Sorry. That's not the right question. That is... I was going to say, no. we did this before. This is an old one. Sorry. Let me go pull up the right one. Here we go. What is the narthex of the church? There we go. There you mean we go. the narthex. The narthex of the church. The narthex. I guess you could say it's it that It's underneath way. the church. Oh, it's, it's the underneath. catacombs, it's like otherwise known as the crypt. Exactly. Ah, that's interesting. Is is the narthex related to um, Elon Musk in it? some way? Why are you saying it like that? How does it say? The narthex. Is that like an Elon Musk thing? I don't know. SpaceX. Narthex. X. <laughs> oh. Hmm. Seeing a trend hmm. here. He Did he start that? Narthex? Could be. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, Mr. Jude. 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, what is the narthex of the church? Uh, perhaps you know, having been a frequent attender of church, Rudy seems to think that it's the crypt. It's underground. It's the basement of the church. Uh, what say you, Mr. Jude? Is he right or is he wrong? Wrong. He is wrong, he says. Let's see. Let's see if he is, in fact correct there it is in fact Mr. correct Jude. it is in fact correct mr jude okay now so mr jude do you know do you know what the correct answer is no the correct answer is that uh, it's the entrance of the church so as you walk in to the beginning up the the front of the church it is in fact the entrance to the church or otherwise known as the antechamber yeah the entrance of the church yeah so he said it is uh, on on creep of the church. I say again. It, uh, I know. Rudy said it is the creep. No, no, the crypt is wrong. Yeah, it's not the crypt. Yeah. The crypt would be the base, like the, an underground church. Typically, an underground church is there's uh, they're not very common in Texas because we really can't have underground anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but except and, for the Alamo and other yeah, except the Alamo, the other places that like D.C. they have a crypt church there. It's very common in, in Europe to have crypt churches. Uh, in Texas, I don't know a single church in Texas that has a crypt church. Uh, so, if anyone knows of one, let me know. I mean, that'd be interesting. But no, it's the entrance of the church. So, very good, Mr. Judy. Are you ready for question number two? Yes, yes, yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Question number two, Rudy. 
What kind of bird, which I'm expecting Rudy to do well in this question because he <laughs> loves birds. What bird returned to Noah with the olive branch? Well, as a uh, Hebrew scholar myself, mm. I've actually read the scriptures in Hebrew mm. and Aramaic as well. Mm, wow. It's a hobby of mine. <laughs> and the translation there has been an error. There's a, a doubt there. Actually, it was a green heron. That, a green heron? Yeah, green heron that was Those sent out. that area? Well, it didn't matter, right? Because they were all in the olive Oh, right? true, true. So it was actually a green heron that went out and brought back an olive branch. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, green heron is what you're saying. That's right. I'm going to be honest with you. You don't know what that I is. I don't know what a green heron is. <laughs> All right, Miss Jude, 15 seconds on the clock. Maybe you know what a green heron is. Rudy seems to think the question on the board is what kind of bird returned to Noah with the olive branch? Rudy seems to think it's the green heron. What say you, Mr. Jude? Yeah, that's correct. That is correct, you're saying. Are you sure? Yes. All right. We're going to see if he is correct. That is incorrect. It was, in fact, a dove. Uh, Rudy, what on earth is a green heron? A green heron is a type of uh, long-necked bird that fishes by stabbing into the water and taking out fish. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, actually, green herons eat bugs as well. So nothing to do with Hebrew or Aramaic. No. You were lying. I don't even think there are any green herons over there. Yeah, probably not. I'm sorry, are those Mr. An American? Jude. Are they it's an American bird? Uh, I think they are partial to the Americas. Okay, yes. interesting. Well, I am sorry, Mr. Jude. Uh, he oh, yeah. did, in fact, trick you. But don't worry. You're in for one. I'm sure you'll get number three correct. I'm looking at it, and I, I'm thinking this one's going to be correct. Are you ready for number three? Yes, I am. All right. This one, hmm, I think you'll get this one correct. So it looks pretty, pretty straightforward. The question on the board is, what is the Carmelite order named after? Ah, okay. That's easy. So the Carmelite order, like many of the other orders, mm-hmm. had to be reformed, right? Right. Because one time it was good, and then it kind of mm. fell into disarray. Mm-hmm. Well, over time, they started identifying with the dessert, caramel. Oh. And so, you know, they thought, wow, this is a really sweet order. We're going to keep naming it after the caramel. <laughs> That's what they named it. After. Oh, that make, I, I see the logic there. And you can I see why see. they had to be reformed, because it had so, nothing to do with so really religious it's the, life. It's the Carmelite order is what the you're Caramelite saying, not order. the Carmelite Depending, order. It's a regional thing, you know. Oh, it's a regional It just depends okay. on who says it, caramel, caramel. Well, that sounds delicious. I'm not going to lie. It does, isn't it? Huh. Well, there you go. So... 15 seconds on the clock, Mr. Jude. The question on the board is, what is the Carmelite order named after? Rudy seems to think that it was named after the candy caramel or caramel, depending on your pronunciation, that they realized caramel, caramel or caramel is so sweet that they had to name their order after Something so sweet since their order is pretty sweet, too. Uh, what say you, Mr. Jude? 15 seconds on the clock. Is he right or is he trying to trick you? Yeah, he, he, he's right. You think he's right? Are you sure about that? Yes. Are you sure you don't want to uh, change your answer there? No, I don't want to change so you're saying yes. All right. He's saying yes. That's uh, incorrect. No, it was not named after candy. 
It was actually named after uh, Mount Carmel, which is in which is in Israel. It was the mountain in which the order was founded, uh, allegedly by Saint Elias or Saint Elijah. And from there, they traveled to Europe through because of Muslim invasion. They drove them out of Mount Carmel. Uh, tradition has it that um, that Our Lord and Our Lady, their first stop in returning from Egypt to um, back to Jerusalem, they stopped at Mount Carmel, and they stayed there. And it was very uh, that's where the first altar dedicated to the Holy Family was created. And the Carmelite order was later brought to Europe, and then fa- had a, a second foundation in Europe because of their driving out of um, of their original home on Mount Carmel. In fact, right now. The Jews in Israel, uh, the Zionists specifically, are attacking the uh, community there and Mount Carmel, which is really sad. Uh, so prayers for the community there on Mount Carmel and the church there. They have a beautiful, beautiful picture of um, St. Elias and life of St. Elias at the church there. Uh, but don't worry, Mr. Jude, you're in the coffee cup of Divine Providence one time to win the prize. And all you need is one chance to win but thank you very much mr jude for calling it's always good to hear your voice and it's always good to have you on another day in paradise am i right yes 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 every day is a good day yes another day is paradise amen amen all right mr jude make sure you stay on the line we're going to get your contact information Uh, but god bless you god love you we'll be praying for you please pray for us Oh, yes, I will. I will. Thank you for the for evangelizing always. Amen. Amen. I'm going to put you on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you can join us in the after show, hop on with us. We're going to be talking about pro-life things, some other information. I'll tell you about my, uh, my experience of getting my wisdom teeth out. You can uh, tell me. Uh, you can join us. Go to YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter. Look up Catholic Drive Time and join us there. But if not, see you back tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass, live from Our Lady of Corpus Christi, home of the Sold community. Be sure to visit OurLadyOfCorpusChristi.org or Sold.net. Today we celebrate Monday of the 17th week of the year, the memorial of St. Ignatius of Loyola. We offer this holy sacrifice of the Mass for all of our online viewers and all those listening to Our Lady or Guadalupe Radio. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad 
Unveil the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. O God, who raised up St. Ignatius of Loyola in your church to further the greater glory of your name, grant that by his help we may imitate him in fighting the good fight on earth and merit to receive with him a crown in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Avoid giving offense, whether Jew or Greek, or the Church of God, just as I try to please everyone in every way, not seeking my own benefit, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. The Word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be ever in my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. I will bless the Lord at all times. Glory the Lord with me. Let us together exalt his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I will bless the Lord at all times. Look to me that you may be radiant with joy and your faces may not blush with shame. When the poor one calls out to the Lord, heard, and from all his distress he saved him. I will bless the Lord at all times. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and deliver them. Taste and see how good the Lord is. Bless the man who takes refuge in him. I will bless the Lord at all times. Fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for naught is liking to those who fear him. The great grow poor and hungry, 
and those who seek the Lord want for no good thing. I will bless the Lord at all times. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers should laugh at him and say, This one began to build, but did not have the resources to finish. Or what king marching into the battle would not first sit down and decide whether 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king, advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. Here at Our Lady of Corpus Christi, for many years, we have done an Ignatian retreat. Saint Ignatius, for a long period of time, he retreated at Manresa in Spain, where he made a life decision. And that's exactly what an Ignatian silent retreat is for. It's for making a life decision. And the life decision is, is very serious. It comes down to hating yourself and loving God. St. Ignatius was following St. Augustine of Hippo, and they said, you either hate yourself and love God, or you will love yourself and hate God. That means to say, loving your father and mother, things that are so close to you, is like hating yourself. And not accepting your own opinions, your own perceptions, your own feelings, the own movements of your heart, and saying, I renounce all of these things and I choose to accept the movements of God is basic daily discernment as a disciple. Because there's, there's things that are very deep inside of us that we feel that may or may not be from God. And it takes a deep renunciation of our very self to truly take up the cross. You cannot discern God's will 
without renouncing your deepest feelings, your deepest thoughts, your deepest perceptions. You have to not trust them. And the way that you do that is with the love of God. The love of God is greater than any kind of, uh, you, you know, it's easy to detach yourself from your very self if you see the love of God. The love of God is unconditional. Perceptions, judgments, opinions, mother, father, your own culture, all things that you could be attached to are very deep, but deeper still is the love of God. And you were made for the love of God the way a fish was made for water. So it's not actually that hard to do if you understand your own dynamics as a human being, as a creature created by the Creator. It's, it only follows. It's actually very natural for you to renounce your very self and follow God. It just means everything isn't right, the right order. If you're not renouncing yourself, if you're not renouncing your family, your opinions, your perceptions, everything about you, your, your preferences, there's a very good chance you are not following God's will. And this is a good thermometer, a good kind of, uh, you know, to, to test the temperature of your soul, how you are following God or how you are not. And this is called Ignatian discernment or discernment of spirits. Following God means that you make a deep, very deep renunciation of your very self, the movements of your very soul, and you say, I want to follow God's holy will. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of it right now myself because I'm in the middle of accepting a new assignment. This is a, a life-changing thing. I could end up on another continent. This could radically alter my life. And I feel a deep peace about a certain movement of my life, going to a certain continent. But I have to renounce that and say, only you, Lord. All, only thing I want in all of this is you. And keep renouncing it. Keep giving it over to God. Keep letting go of it. And holding on to God is how you do discernment. That's, that's how you find God's holy will, even if it feels really good, even if it, it, it seems like it's the best possible decision for your life, you have to keep on renouncing it and letting it go. And, and again, the way that you do this is with the love of God. Jesus on the cross is the model for this. Constantly saying, into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit. I let go of everything everything. I let go of every possible outcome. This is what St. Ignatius calls holy indifference, where you completely and totally let go of all outcomes, no matter what they are, whether they are good for you or not, whether they are seemingly in your favor or not, but just completely letting go of everything and saying, thy holy will be done. All I want is you, Jesus. As Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, to give whatever Jesus takes and to take whatever Jesus gives. May the Lord be praised. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church, that it may shine forth with the holiness of the face of Jesus Christ for a harvest of holiness and salvation to the nations. For this we pray to the Lord. 
Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our Holy Father, all bishops and priests, that they may proclaim the gospel with wisdom and courage in season and out of season. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our government leaders that they may not obstruct Christ. We pray for an end to abortion, same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick, the suffering, the poor, the forgotten, the abandoned, the rejected, all those who are the disguise of Jesus in human misery, that we may respond to Jesus in his poverty, in the poverty of love. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Finally, we pray for all of our beloved dead, all the souls in purgatory. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us. We make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. How we love you. Jesus, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. How we love you. Spirit, we adore you. Lay our lives before you. How we love you. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church. May these offerings we make to you as we celebrate St. Ignatius be pleasing, Lord God, and grant that the sacred mysteries which you have made the fount of all holiness may sanctify us too in truth, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God. For you are praised in the company of your saints, and in crowning their merits you crown your own gifts. By their way of life you offer us an example. By communion with them you give us companionship. By their intercession, sure support. And so that, encouraged by so great a cloud of witnesses, we may run as victors in the race before us, and win with them the imperishable crown of glory through Christ our Lord. And so the angels and archangels, with the great multitude of the saints, we sing the hymn of your praise, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Blani Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, 
Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy, and you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. A mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church, and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself, grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son, and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Ignatius of Loyola, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant, Francis our Pope, Michael our Bishop, the Order of Bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you in your compassionate, O merciful Father. Gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. Remember your servants, whom you have called from this world to yourself. Grant that they who are united with your Son in a death like his may also be one with him in his resurrection, when from the earth he will raise up in the flesh those who have died and transform our lowly body after the pattern of his own glorious body. To our departed brothers and sisters, too, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy 
forever the fullness of your glory, when you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. For seeing you, our God, as you are, we shall be like you for all the ages and praise you without end. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Roho him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Preceptis salutaribus moniti, et divin institutioni formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, secut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum, da nobis odie, et imite nobis debita nostra, secut et nos dimitimus, Debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed liberanos amahalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity, in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. On you stay, mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Communion Antiphon Thus says the Lord, I have come to cast fire on the earth, and how I wish that it were kindled. Act of Spiritual Communion My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the Most Holy Sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe in you. Jesus, I trust. Jesus, I trust. Jesus, I trust. I trust in you. Jesus, I love. Jesus, I love. Jesus, I love, I love you. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Let us pray. May the sacrifice of praise that we have offered with thanksgiving in honor of St. Ignatius, O Lord, bring to us to exalt your majesty without end through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Bow down for the blessing. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Sing of Mary, pure and lowly, Virgin Mother undefiled, Sing of God's own Son, most holy, who became her little child. Fairest child of fairest mother, God the Lord who came to earth, Word made flesh our very brother, takes our nature by his birth. Sing of Jesus, Son of Mary, in the home at Nazareth. Toil and labor cannot weary, love enduring unto death. Constant was the love he gave. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. 
Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name's Alyssa Vigil from St. Ignatius of Loyola Catholic Community. And you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston. Part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.